This is Interfaith Talk Radio being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, and streaming on the Internet at interfaithtalkradio.com. We welcome you to an expanding dialogue on interfaith understanding and a continuing celebration of our shared spiritual quest. We are, are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church in Seattle. And in a moment we will have Pastor Don McKenzie on the telephone. He is actually concluding his recuperation period at home following surgery. And when we get him, we'll uh, have him tell you where he's from. Do we have him, Eric? Don? Yeah. Hey, Don, you're on the air. Hey, great. So we just started, and I didn't tell them where you are uh, pastoring. I'm at University Congregational United Church of Christ. Okay, and I'm glad you got to say that, so <laughs> one of us didn't mess up the all those names. So how are you doing? You know, I'm doing, I'm doing well. Uh, today was one of those days when I woke up and felt I'd taken a leap forward. Wonderful. That yeah. means that means you got up and made yourself coffee and exactly sat and looked out at the window out the window at the beauty of the world. I did. I saw a seagull and um, yeah, it was just an amazing. I mean, not every day is like this, but basically everything has been a blessing, and I'm doing well. And I miss you guys, and I look forward to being on the show with you next week. Oh, yeah, I've heard great. that threat before, so. <laughs> Um, uh, we'll certainly take you up on it. I guess you, you know you're end, you're ending the period of recovery and kind of about to walk back into the other world. Yeah, that must be a little weird after all this time. Well, it it seems um, both wonderful and a little fearful. Um, two weeks ago, when the first time I talked to you, which was a week after my surgery, the the idea of going back was it just wasn't there. I didn't. I mean, I wanted to, but I couldn't imagine it. Right. And as time has gone by, it's become more and more a possibility. Today, I really feel pretty much like myself, and I appreciate the time it takes to uh, to heal. Boy. And uh, I appreciate the chance to listen to the show from my house. It's that's wonderful too. Well, the, there are uh, you know small advantages. It's it is good to heal, and you've really been through it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's good for a pastor uh, to do that. I think uh, yeah. to have that experience and know what it feels like to be vulnerable and in need of a healing touch and so forth. And you've had the most uh, wonderful nurses I know. I do, uh, Judy oh. and Marian. What a hey, blessing Judy that is. They've been fabulous. Yeah, it just couldn't be better. I mean, what a blessing. Are they available to others who are in need, or <laughs> you'd have to ask them? Okay, I think. I just you know, I mean, maybe they were practicing on you and yeah, new uh, careers. I think they've been good, both in terms of I mean, they've been great, both in terms of uh, you know helping me to do what I needed to do and being patient. Yeah, so something has uh, deepened within you, brother Don. I can I can feel that's well said, Jamal. Yeah, um, I'm a different person. And I, we really pray it rubs off on us. <laughs> yeah, and we look forward to meeting you. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the halo. I mean, can you yeah. see the halo already on his uh, on his head? Yeah. 
Well, you know, Hawkeye and Mash once had an experience where he was uh, quite ill, and, and he said, I've had two blessings after it was over. He said, I got ill, and then he said, the other blessing was I got better. Yeah. And um, because the, the and what he meant by that, I may have mentioned this on the air already, but the experience of the illness made him aware of, helped him to be present uh, to things more than he had been, and he realized when it was over what a blessing that was. You know, one of my teachers, a psychologist named Fritz Kunkel, said there were three major ways that one awakened, you know, came out of the trance yeah. and opened up to the universal. And one was through love. You know, just really connecting to, could be nature, could be another person, and just having the ordinary, just blasted out of the ordinary and opening in a full way. Yeah. And the other was, of course, growing in understanding that there is a universal, that there is something greater of which we are a part. And the third was suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he said that suffering can either make you or break you. Yeah. And it is it is one of the ways. And so you find that in artists and you find that in authors and you find that in people who through who whose difficult experiences they have come to a deeper appreciation of life and a renewed ability to communicate that in ways that people can understand. Right. And it's 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 so easy for me now to understand exactly what that means. I think I would have understood it you know, intellectually before, but having had the visceral experience of the need for healing, it, it really is in me now, so um, I'm grateful. Isn't it amazing that every single religion has the same insight? Yeah. So yeah. What, you, what you called about suffering, what Brother talked about, um, Ted talked about suffering, uh, we have many times talked about the veils of health and wealth. Yeah. Yes. When that gets shattered, uh, one of the veils shatter of health or wealth, uh, within oneself or within, with dear ones, we begin to ask deeper questions. Yeah. Why is this happening? Why to me? I need help. Yeah. I need help from a source higher than human personality or human institutions. Right. And of course, then we are on the path of, uh, in Islam we say, surrendering. Yeah. Uh, from an experiential experience. Yeah. So, Pastor Don, we're still looking at the topic of that which is healthy in religion and that which is unhealthy, that which in religious tradition supports the unfolding of compassion and love and that which supports violence and destructive behavior and thinking. And in a few moments we're going to be welcoming a guest onto the show um, to help us in your absence, although were you here we would all get to talk together. Yeah. And do you have anything to share with us about any thoughts that might have come up for you during the week about these two sides of religion? Well, the thing that I think I've been made aware of through this whole experience is uh, one, of the, one of the aspects is the meaning of salvation. In the Christian tradition, the word salvation really means healing or being made whole. Uh-huh. And um, I think that's part of the constructive uh, use of religion, part of the experience of um, being part of a faith community, being a person of faith, um, uh, growing in faith, and so forth. Salvation is uh, 
the, the word I would use to point to all those processes. Um, the destructive aspect of that is when something like salvation comes to mean uh, something not inclusive but exclusive. Right, religion is, is brings salvation, but just to people who observe it this particular way. Exactly, exactly. And since um, we're feeling that we're all a part of the one, the word salvation should really apply to everyone in some way or another. Right. And um, But I think that there's a natural human tendency to define ourselves in terms of what we're not as well as what we are. And that's uh, that has had tragic consequences. So, yeah. Um, I hope that in the world to come, um, that the word salvation can be used by anybody who needs it. Mm. I think that's part of what we are supporting in the context of our interfaith work, both on the air as well as off. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you being an authentic Christian and in saying that, that may salvation be for everyone. Well, I certainly hope so, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I being an authentic Muslim and Brother Ted being an authentic Jew. Right. In saying that and aspiring for that, right. sincerely from one's heart. Hmm. I think that's a place where the three of us really connect completely. Well said. Yep. So we look forward to welcoming you back in the studio uh, next week. And um, we welcome you as a listener for the rest of the show. If we, you know, kind of get things too terribly wrong... <laughs> Please give us a call. I will. I'll tune in as soon as I hang up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, I should mention to others who are listening that as we engage in our conversation, every one of our shows, uh, you are welcome to join in the conversation. Our phone number is 425-373-5527. 425-373-5527. And for those who are listening in the western Washington area, you ha there's a toll-free number, 888-298-5569. So thanks, Brother Don. Thank you, Ted and Jamal. Both of you bless you, and I'll look forward to being with you soon. Yeah, look forward to that. Enjoy uh, your rest this week. Thank you. Because you know what's coming. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and we are about to take a break here on the show. We are going to be back in a few moments with our guest, Michael Bogar, and I will tell you about him when we return. Deepening our conversation on a celebration of interfaith spirituality. This is Interfaith Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. Church of Christ wants you to know about the God is Still Speaking campaign, a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone, no matter what, to the worship of God and the service of the church. We believe that God has much, much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world. To find out more, log on to www.ucc.org slash index.php. We wish you blessings for your life. Can changing what you think really change your life? Tune in to the Dr. Pat Show to learn how intentional living and the power of affirmations can change your life. Kristen Marie Sherline, founder of Affirmagy, will share her story 
her company, and advice on how to live intentionally and design a life you love. More information about Affirmagy, log on to Affirmagy.com. That's Affirmagy.com. Una is the ancient spiritual teachings of the people of Hawaii. Una says, Aohe pao, koike i kohalao. Think not that all wisdom is in your school. It's important to remember that no matter who you are or where you come from, there's always more to learn. Call 800-800-MIND or go to huna.com to learn about the March 10th through 18th Huna event in Kona, Hawaii. Mention the Dr. Pat Show when you call. The Huna Workshop and the Empowerment Partnership. Whatever you think you are, you're more than that. 1150kknw.com. It's why they invented the Internet. We think. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back. This is Interfaith Talk Radio on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. We were just on the line with our Christian That's pastor, right. Don McKenzie, who is now among the listeners. And will be back with us in the studio next week. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church. And we are here today with Michael Bolgar, who is a former evangelical free church minister. Um, he was a free church minister for around five years, and he taught at the Evangelical Seminary in Tacoma. In the late 80s, he left um, that more fundamentalistic approach to his faith, engaged in carpentry work, and allowed his spiritual development to move into new thought areas. Now he teaches at the Holmes School in San Diego. He does many classes in the Seattle area and uh, is working on uh, independent teaching and writing. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. And one of the things we were hoping is that you could talk to us about the bridge between the two worlds that you have inhabited. Okay. Like, how does one move from an uh, evangelical free church? And you might tell us a little bit about what that means, free church in an evangelical sense. And then how does one move from that to new thought? Okay, yeah. Well, it, very painfully for me, um, it was a, a huge, huge transition. Um, I was raised in a home with no religion, so I, I think part of the blessing for me is that I wasn't um, indoctrinated too deeply. Um, and at the age of 19 and a half, I had a very, very powerful spiritual awakening, and subsequent to that, people attached it to the more fundamentalist uh, Christian religion. And then I went off to a Christian college and two seminaries and to graduate degrees. Um, and all the while, I was having doubts about what I was being taught. There were lots of holes in, in the teaching, um, but I had that fear thing going on that if you ask questions, you know, you risk your eternal soul. But by the time I got into the ministry and was teaching part-time in the seminary, there were just too many questions and too many um, troubling issues, and I just had to leave it. Um, and there were just a lot of pieces to it, uh, so it's, it's hard to start with with any one. If you have questions, I would love to entertain those. I um, don't really know what what right. area what, you're looking for. What is um, 
evangelical free church? The free church movement was uh, something that came about after the Reformation in the 16th century. There were a number of people out there that sort of considered themselves not to be Lutheran necessarily or Catholic or Presbyterian or Reformed. They saw those as being in the way of the true Christ message. So they called themselves free of denominational and doctrinal limitations and they gathered together and it was called the free church movement. Their uh, unifying factor was evangelical or the evangel, the, the gospel essentially. So then the church I was in, we had Lutherans. I did a Lutheran baptism and we had Pentecostals. It, it was a pretty mixed bag of Christians. Hmm. So were you united with a particular creedal formulation? They had a 12-point doctrinal statement, and the first six they said were pretty solid. The second six were pretty wishy-washy, which I kept saying, well, then why don't you get rid of them? But they said, well, we need a few wishy-washy doctrines. So, um, and, and that was essentially why I started to leave. I began to question the notion of an inerrant Bible, um, and all my family and friends really reacted to that one. And the notion that God had to kill his son to appease, you know, his wrath, I really started to question that. Eternal conscious punishment or the doctrine of hell, I just didn't find that to be not, not only biblically feasible, but just um, common sense. Made, it just made no sense. So I began to question a lot of the doctrines. A lot of the, like last time we quoted a little bit from The End of Faith by Sam Harris. Right. We're looking at... Um, Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, and I just, in the bookstore, I just passed by another. There's another new book come out. I mean, there's going to be a rash right. now of people who are anti-religion, yes. you know, identifying religion with everything bad that has ever happened to humankind, and unfortunately, it's it's pretty easy to do. Right. right. Um, but when, but those people who are members of uh, evangelical traditions believe very strongly mm-hmm. that their way is uh, not only the proper way, but their way is the only way. Right. Although they're not as entrenched these days as they were 20, 40, 50. It, it's becoming, they're, they're more and more tolerant evangelicals than ever before. When I was in the church in Everett and I said I have to leave because I don't believe most of this stuff, that was one of the reasons I wanted to leave. Most of the people in the church said, no, stay, you don't have to believe that stuff. We, you know, we like what you're teaching us. It's more open-minded. Um, so there are a lot of open-minded evangelicals. Out Is there a difference between evangelical and fundamentalist? Yeah, a huge difference. Uh, fundamentalist um, typically studies only the Bible. Okay. Whereas an evangelical is encouraged to go off to university and study the different disciplines, philosophy, psychology, anthropology, sociology, and, and really become educated in, in the secular arena. I mean, sincerely educated, and then defend the faith from a point of knowledge. So there's when people call me a fundamentalist, I kind of cringe a little right, bit. Okay. Because somebody wants to find a fundamentalist as somebody who has no fun and all damn and no mental. <laughs> so, um, You know, our goal... Uh, between Brother Jamal and Pastor Don and me is to find a way of bridging the divide and you know like we laugh because right. it, it's a it's funny but deeper down we really don't want to laugh at each other and we want to yeah. find ways of somehow embracing each other and discovering the common quests right. that we share even if our i our beliefs are different right 
Go well, ahead. the way it, it it made sense to me when I actually the the straw that broke the camel's back for me in '89 when I left the church was I read Scott Peck's book, The Different Drum. And in there, he talked about the stages of spiritual development or spiritual growth. And I began to look at that. James Fowler's work and Plato's Republic has the same four stages. Buddhism, the Buddha went through the same four stages. Hinduism has the same four stages. And I began to see that there was this sort of universal process that human beings and cultures go through. The first, um, and that's the way I teach the Bible. I teach the Bible as um, stages of consciousness, that the God of Genesis is different than the God of the prophets. And and uh, God doesn't change, but human consciousness does. So for me, the tolerance comes from the fact that we all are in different stages. Um, How do you define the four stages? Well, for me personally, and, and there's many ways to do it, but I call the first stage ego, which is it's all about me. And to me, the, the stories in Genesis are very, very self-centered, very ego-centered. And it's good. It's not like ego's bad. It, I'm not opposed to ego. It's a wonderful little juicy stage to go through until you're done with it. Um, and then the second stage is ego plus, where it's about we. We uh, see that, okay, it's not about pleasure as in Hinduism, the comma stage. is the me stage. It's uh, me plus. You can fall in love. You get a job. You go to school. You become a Christian. I mean, you hook yourself up to something else, and it gets bigger. But that comes to an end, too. Uh, there's a point where you go, this we stage is not big enough either. And then the third stage, and Scott Peck calls it um, um, chaotic anti-so, or rather, um, skeptic individual. The third stage is asking questions. Why? Why? Why do I believe this? Are these really my beliefs? And um, I went through that stage after I left the church. I was in a lot of chaos, personally, my personal life, uh, my spiritual life. At the time, I understood that it was there was nothing wrong it was a natural and necessary stage to go through and then the fourth stage is the mystical stage um it's that connection where you still have the questions but they're just not as pressing um there's a surrender um you don't have to understand it so it's it's like a i mean that's why i think jesus and other teachers use the plant or the seed analogy so Mm -hmm. often that we move through phases and everybody's in a perfect place you know, the guy out doing heroin, it may not be pleasant, and he may actually die or be institutionalized from it, but he's still in a spiritual process. And to me, that's where the bridge building come in, is to understand every one of us is in the place where we need to be to get to where we're going. Right. One of my favorite parables that's little told is in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus said, um, a man went out and planted a seed, and then he went to bed, and while he slept, the seed grew all by itself. And the Greek word there is automate, which is our word for automatic. And to me, it was a really wonderful parable because he must have been surrounded by all kinds of knowledgeable teachers who thought it was their job to grow souls. And he seemed to be saying that the universe does the soul growing. We just get to sort of assist um, and, and watch it grow like a seed. So to me, that's a big part of the bridge building is we don't have to do anything. It's, it, the universe is God is doing it. It's interesting with stages in terms of levels of consciousness, there are are many teachers who perceive that it's not so much we're ever done with stages. Right. You know, we reach stages, but then we're liable to find ourselves all of a sudden functioning at one of the other stages and needing to have a great deal of compassion waiting for ourselves. I don't think we're ever finished with any of the stages. We just sort of graduate a little more into one and then backslide into the other. So, yeah, we're in all four stages, I think, all the time, or six or however many you have. Right. Probably the... 
in terms of the mystical tradition in Judaism, one goes into those areas in order to bring healing. Yes. You know, so there is a function of entering into the more constricted or contracted states. Yes. Well, I prefer to call it soul-making, um, based on the Greek myth of, of um, Eros and Psyche, which is a beautiful story of soul going through various stages, right. those same four stages, essentially. Right. And um, we're all in it. You know, when we come back, I would really love to talk to you about uh, this uh, metaphor that you used, Brother Ted, uh, and what you do literally Oh, you did literally, after 89, you were a carpenter. I mean, yes. that's a beautiful model of Jesus, actually, being a carpenter, carpentering. Yeah. And I really would like to ask you, when you come, come back from the break, uh, what were you doing in this period of carpentering that really prepared you for this work of, you call it soul-making? Yeah. Uh, I'd like you to ponder on that and uh, give us some insights in yeah. your personal journey of your carpentering. All right. Uh, that would be wonderful for me and our listeners to hear about. Okay. Great. So we'll come back with uh, more conversation with Michael Bogar, and uh, this is Interfaith Talk Radio. We'll be right back. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just can't seem to get over this. Change results in loss with death in the family, divorce, or major illness. There's going to be grief. When you're feeling overwhelmed or like you just can't get through it alone, you can heal through grief counseling. You can call Sybil Lundy at Whole Life Counseling. For nearly 10 years, Whole Life Counseling has been a safe place to come to peace with life changes. Call 206-683-1561 or see my website at wholelifedesigns.com. Called the Oprah of Radio by her listeners. Award-winning host Dr. Pat Basili is blowing the doors off of traditional talk radio. Get ready for an energizing delivery and powerful interviews with leaders in the field of human potential. Dr. Pat's fresh new perspective on living life full out has catapulted her show to the top of talk radio. Tune in and Dr. Pat will help you thrive instead of merely survive. Visit the drpatshow.com. That's T-H-E-D-R-Patshow.com for listening times in your area. This is Dr. Scott Lynch of Crown Hill Chiropractic with your Maximized Living Tip of the Week. Subluxation is when a spinal bone has shifted from its normal healthy alignment, interfering with proper nervous system function and causing poor health. Visit us at crownhillchiropractic.com or call 206-782-8800 for your complimentary subluxation checkup at a wellness office near you. of the people of Hawaii. Most people who study Huna want to know more about themselves and the world around them. If you are interested in a more spiritual view of the world and want to discover a whole new universe around you, then Huna is for you. Call 800-800-MIND or go to Huna.com to learn about the March 10th through 18th Huna event in Kona, Hawaii. Mention the Dr. Pacho when you call the Empowerment Partnership. Whatever you think you are, You're more than that. The University Congregational United Church of Christ, located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast, right across from the Burke Museum, wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship, and service. We need your help to say yes to God's purposes. For more information, log on to universityucc.org. That's universityucc.org. Or call 206 524 2322. That's 206 
524-2322. No shirt, no shoes, no problem. Come as you are. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. We are in conversation with Michael Bolgar, and we are Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue, and... I'm Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church in Seattle. And Brother Jamal had just asked a question. Yes. Uh, let me preface the question I'd asked with another question, if I could, Michael. Mm -hmm. uh, you said you were uh, in a church here in Seattle, or in Everett, if Everett. I remember. Mm -hmm. And you're the minister there. Right. And I'm presuming uh, you're a very successful minister because you're charismatic and you have wonderful ideas. And what was it uh, in those five years that truly accelerated your questioning and the deepening of doubts that brought you to the point in 89 where you quit, actually? Yeah. Well, the seeds had been planted in seminary. I just saw a lot of inconsistencies, not only in the doctrines, but in the lives of the people around me. So the seeds were deeply Im implanted. And I thought, maybe if I go into a ministry, into a church, I'll get rid of these doubts. Um, actually, the short answer to that question is I spent most of my time preaching and teaching out of the wisdom books in the, uh, the, the Hebrew Bible, um, Old Testament to Christians. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, um, uh, Proverbs, um, book of Job, which really went into questions. And I found people responding. The church was growing. People were coming, having the same questions I had. And um, I just found myself wanting to be more open-minded mm -hmm. and being able to explore questions that uh, the evangelical movement told me you don't look, you don't really, if you research those things, there are right answers that you come up with. Mm -hmm. So it's not research, it's basically defending the doctrines. So did you actually become very burdened and depressed oh, yeah. because of these doubts, the seeds of which had been planted before? Very, very depressed, uh, yeah, full of a lot of anxiety, tension. Um, yeah, it was. And so, uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but okay. this question of faith. Uh, it's, it's an important issue for me. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Quran, which uh, of course doesn't mean that Muslims follow that, mm -hmm. but the Quran talks about faith being based on borrowed certainty yeah. and on inner certainty, right. which comes from a personal experience. Right. Like the wonderful saying in Islamic mysticism, he who tastes knows. That's right. So would you say that you your faith initially was borrowed certainty and you really wanted to make it inner certainty no that 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 was the problem uh the experience i had at the age of 19 and a half i was a second year college student at highland community college studying journalism and creative writing and my parents both became christians w w that's another story altogether it was an amazing story a, a home rife with alcoholism and, and insanity and their lives changed radically so i sneaked into my bedroom as a as a second year college student and read through the gospel of matthew mm -hmm. and had no religious inclinations at all but when i finished reading about the death and resurrection something in me said believe and i folded my hands on my chest and said i believe and the next morning i woke up walked outside and the whole universe had changed i mean i had changed mm. but it looked like the whole universe had changed so that was that gnostic or that gnosis that inner mystical experience i literally i went from a 1.8 grade point student at highline to 3.8 that quarter 
So my life radically changed. The spiritual experience was real. It was the subsequent indoctrination that burdened me. I see. So, so you had these wonderful epiphanies yes. along the way. The spirituality was real. And the question which I had originally asked before the break was, in this period of carpentering, and I love the word carpentering because Jesus was a carpenter, uh, what did you exactly do that really brought you to where you are today in oh your my. journey? Well, I went out and built houses and threw the religion pretty much completely out. Um, I shared with Jamal on a break earlier that I was sort of a prodigal son mm -hmm. in the sense that I uh, went out and I partied and just wanted nothing to do with religion. Um, you know, it's a period, time period that I have some shame about uh, around the way I, I treated my family. And um, in fact, a lot of shame but growth comes through even the most horrible situations but it was during that time period that i sorted some things out went through some experiences that really brought me to the to my knees into the depths which is where soul is made it's mm -hmm. in the depths it's not in the heights and um i saw that the universe is so constructed that there's a dark and a light that bring us to uh to enlightenment and that um, the darkness has as much effect as the light does in getting us to surrender. So it was uh, it was the most difficult period of my life as far as social and relational things, and, and my own inner psyche went. It was it, it felt like hell. So it sounds like you really did what is called the real work. Besides embracing the light, you also embraced your shadow and looked deep and long at it. I did, and I would also have to say, you know, being a student and embracing archetypal psychology, that I didn't do much of anything, it was done to me. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. the universe is so constructed, in my opinion, that it sometimes chases us to the faith. And um, I wasn't cooperating. Fortunately, there is something in the universe that chastens and... and chases. So from an Islamic perspective, I know you've studied Islam, at a certain point you actually genuinely surrendered oh, yeah. to a higher power. Yeah, a couple times I went through experiences, especially in relation to drinking and, and the alcohol thing, um, ended up in treatment. I see. And at that point, I realized that my best thinking was not working. I see. And that there was a power greater than me. Mm -hmm. it, it had no name. It was the the, the, the Tao, the, mm -hmm. the Brahman, the, mm -hmm. the Allah. It was the infinite source. And I would never understand it. And you, you felt a connection. And you felt yes. a guidance. I, I felt a connection to that source once again. The same thing I had when I was 19 and a half. It came back. Ah. And, and that's what the stages of spiritual growth are, are about. They're, they're the cycles we go through of mm -hmm. connection, disconnection, learning. Um, in the dark times as well as the light. So would you say you are today a, a true Christian, an authentic Christian, <laughs> or would you say that you are less focused on that religious emphasis yeah. and more of uh, aspiring more to be a complete human being? The latter. I, I find myself when pressed on, on the website and the blog that I have, I've written an, an entire article on um, spiritual humanism. Um, I mean, I looked at the life of Jesus, Buddha, and other teachers and said, what are the qualities that really mark them? And one is that they loved all humans. So the humanists, not in the sense of secular humanists, but they, they love all humans. And they were spiritual. They saw the invisible presence everywhere. And so I said, if I have to take a label, it'll be spiritual humanist. I identify with the Christian tradition because I'm so ensconced in it historically and have a, a love for it. I mean, I love my evangelical roots. Mm -hmm. Uh, as I love kindergarten, 
but you don't stay in kindergarten for the rest of your life. And did you also embark on a study of other religions? I don't mean necessarily in depth, but just to get a better perspective, for example, that wonderful teacher Houston Smith says that when you view an object from one angle, you see a certain object. Mm -hmm. If you see view the same object from different angles, it gives you greater depth and clarity. Yeah. So you studied other religions, am I right? In I that? studied them in depth, and I've 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 taught classes on world religions and um, the sacred texts. And I woke up one morning with this voice, for no better term, that said, "Religion is a mystical experience, mythically told and systematically organized." Mm -hmm. And it was like. The myth, mystical experience is a universal, and then we sort of clothe those experiences in myths from our cultures, and then we organize them into what I call the ABCs of religion, authority, beliefs, community, and so forth. Um, and then we get stuck in the organization, and the organization's job is to lead us back to the experience. Um, and, and not defend the organization. So how, how would you say the difference between religion and spirituality? I think you're, dis you're describing that very aptly, very appropriately. Well, Spiros is the breath. It's the infinite mystery. It's the infinite source that, that engulfs us and that, that we're in, in. And you can't define it. It's, it's, it has its way with us in bringing us into deeper and deeper experience of, of itself. And religion, to me, is the human attempt to um, reconnect to it. We create rituals and myths and beliefs and so forth. But when you lose that emphasis, mm -hmm. when religion forgets why it's here, which is to connect us back to that infinite source, um, then it becomes sick. It starts to defend itself. It defends its holy books. It defends its holy people, its holy places, and um, forgets that they're the means to the end, not the end. But you're very grateful to have been a Christian and to have studied Christianity yeah. and to have uh, practiced Christian uh, rituals and uh, particular specific practices. Do you today, for example, uh, employ some Christian practices in your uh, overall system? I wouldn't say Christian so much. Uh -huh. They're more universal. Um, I, 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 I don't involve my... I mean, occasionally I'll go to an Episcopalian church in Christmas and Easter because I just love the, the history mm -hmm. and the tradition. How about meditation, for example? In Christian meditation? I do meditation, but I consider that to be a universal... I mean, I'll do Sufi meditation, I'll mm -hmm. do uh, Jewish Kabbalah meditations. Mm -hmm. There's some amazing meditations out there in all the traditions. Of course, I'm very curious to know, as a Muslim, you studied Islam. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it about Islam that has actually informed you and deepened you and expanded you? I think the, the greatest teaching, I, I positive teaching I got from Islam is just the very name itself, to surrender, to submit, the shalom, the ishalom. Mm -hmm. um, that that's the bottom line of religion to me is that surrendering beautiful beautiful. Yeah. and how would you advise me as a muslim if i want to connect with a christian evangelical or let's even take it deeper or further to it with a fundamentalist christian what would you advise me counsel me to say or do that would really start a process of a dialogue a uh, run <laughs> no, I would say, I, I shared earlier, there's a beautiful proverb in the Hebrew Bible uh -huh. that says, answer not a fool according to his folly. Mm -hmm. And then the verse right after it says, answer a fool according to his folly. So it's a little puzzling, but what it says to me is, you'll meet some fundamentalists of any tradition that are really open to talking. They're the fool that you answer according to their folly and point out the foolishness. I had people do it to me and it was great. But then you'll also meet some people who just want to fight with you. Mm -hmm. And that's when you just shut up and say, this is casting my pearls before swine. 
There's no point arguing and disputing. Probably not. Though I'll tell you, Jamal, I, I had some people come after me, and I fought tooth and toenail as an evangelical. I studied philosophy and apologetics to be the most brilliant defender of the faith I could be, and I thought I was pretty good at it. But I would come away from people like you that had a different point of view, mm -hmm. and secretly I would question everything I believed. Mm -hmm. So I say, don't be afraid to mm -hmm. question. You know, I really like this. You're saying it doesn't matter what your religion is. Doesn't matter what the teaching is. Please feel free to question. Absolutely, and that is that, among other things, has brought you to where you are today. Absolutely, through your deep, authentic questioning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, that's the biggest problem I saw in the evangelical movement um, is the stage three, which is the questioning stage, after you start to move away from the doctrines. Most of my friends immediately labeled that Satan. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, wonderful, mm -hmm. this is necessary. To find your faith, you mm -hmm. need to ask these questions. Beautiful. I just want to say, you know, there's a wonderful quote by Tagore who says, well, God waits for his temple to be made out of love, man, man brings stones. Yep. And I think you were saying that, please bring love, bring, bring compassion, bring the essence of what is in the religion. Right. That is what makes a temple. That's what makes it, and sometimes the storms do, too. Right. And we are... Being enriched with a conversation, this is Interfaith Talk Radio. You've been listening just now to Brother Jamal Rahman and Michael Bolgar. We will be back after a break. We ask that you listen to uh, the words of our sponsors and even consider being a sponsor yourself, allowing us to continue to deepen this dialogue. We'll be right back. For the perfect way to connect with your children all year long, give your entire family the gift of heartfelt conversations through the magic of Carla Miller's Seeds of Discovery books. Each Unbound book is a unique interactive experience with simple life lessons for all children and adults. Lighthearted, colorful illustrations attract the attention of children and stimulate interaction with adults through titles like I Love Myself When, Why Am I Here, I Know I Can, Yes I Am, I Am, and others. Adults can share creative, fun, meaningful, and long-lasting experiences with their children who will learn about themselves with messages of loving self-image and emotional reinforcement. Love your children by giving your whole family the gift of inspired conversation with Seeds of Discovery books by Carla Miller. Seeds of Discovery books can be found at the Center for Spiritual Living, Island Books, Seattle Unity Church Bookstore, or by going to seedsofdiscovery.com or calling 888-426-1632. That's 888-426-1632. Are you yearning to live a more fully expressed and joyful life? Do you want to explore and discover what ignites your heart? Heart Ignited is a potent coaching process created by Deborah Tracci, a life and transition coaching pioneer. Tune into the Dr. Pat Show to learn more about this unique process. Go to heartignited.com or call 206-236-6100 to learn more. That's heartignited.com or 206-236-6100. Releasing the past and stepping fully into the present is now easier than imagined. Hi, I'm Sue Newfeld Ellis of quantumhealing.us. Dr. Pat and I will be teaming up to give you many powerful ways to open the door to an extraordinary life. Tune in and discover how, starting February 15th. For more information and to receive 25 tips to reduce your stress, visit quantumhealing.us. 
Independent programs, independent voices, independent ideas. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back. This is Interfaith Talk Radio. And we're on the air, Brother Jamal and I. I'm Rabbi Ted Falcon. And we are talking with Michael Bolgar. Talking a few moments ago about carpentering. Uh as uh, something he did uh, uh, during the time he was leaving his first ministry and I suppose entering your second because what you are doing now, the way you are teaching and questing is a ministry in itself. Right. I was reminded of a first century sage in Jewish tradition. There were actually two leaders of the community one was named Shammai and the other Hillel, two rabbis. Most people know about Hillel, whose statement, uh, do not do unto others that which is hateful to you. He taught as the summation of Judaism and then simply added, all the rest is commentary, go now and learn. Because learning is an essential part of Jewish being. But what's not so known is that that same non-Jew who was challenging Hillel to explain to him the essence of Judaism while standing on one foot first went to the other leader of the community named Shammai who happened to be a carpenter. And Shammai was holding a measuring rod in his hand. And the guy says to him, can you tell me the essence of Judaism while standing on one foot? And Shammai turns to him and whacks him over the head with the <laughs> measuring rod. And I never understood that until meeting teachings by Zen Buddhist teachers. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I'm reading where a Zen Buddhist teacher either yelled at a student or hit a student over the head. And it occurred to me, wait a minute, I better go back to that story and go, there's something else going on here. And essentially... As far as I could tell, Shammai's answer is far deeper, and it's essentially saying, wake up. Yeah. That it's not outside. If you think it's something that I can tell you, it's a neat, neat thing that you can have a sentence and you can say, mm -hmm. or a product you can carry around with you, that's the external. Yeah. And it's like, wake up, it's inside you, it's already there, You've already, you, already, you already have it. And right. it's a call to awaken. And as you were describing, Michael, a lot of times the ways in which we get hit over the head can be very painful. That's right. In our development. That's right. And and that's why I have found myself um, attracted to this notion of soul making lately in depth psychology, which sees the wax as not just um, intruders or invaders, but as a necessary part of, of the universe. Mm. It's that, like, how do we wake up? Yeah, that oftentimes, you know, Gurdjieff, the, the European mystic, said most of us are in a state of inertia, and it's not until we're hit right. mm -hmm. that we actually move in a different direction. I mean, one of the ways of saying it is we, and this is either metaphor or literal, depending on how one chooses, but we pick the parents we pick, we pick the place of our birth and the conditions, because they will present to us the exact issues that we need to work on in our lives. Yeah. And then, of course, we get born, we get these uh, conditions, and we spend our whole lives complaining about them. <laughs> <laughs> and we, you know, just at least metaphorically, we, or literally, however one chooses, uh, 
um, we then return to another level of existence and realize we we missed it again mm -hmm. and go well next time i won't miss it because i'll make my situation so difficult mm -hmm. and so extreme that there's no way i will miss it yeah, yeah. and of course we keep forgetting that we are not being punished we are being provided yeah. opportunities to yeah. awaken to the deeper nature of our being and it's all within oneself and this is um, yeah. it's amazing that every single tradition has that and then we make religion right and i hate to have religion be the culprit always mm -hmm. because i have a suspicion that we will always make religions yeah that there is something about the community the community wants to adhere, it wants to have a context, yeah. and that context becomes some kind of religion. Mm -hmm. And then just like the ego, just like the personal ego, the institution develops an institutional ego that acts the same way as our own, mm -hmm. that defends itself against others, that looks out at others to see who's successful, who's not successful, rather than utilizing the community in the service of an awakening mm -hmm. to something greater yep we get so possessive yeah well i remember uh, a quote from carl Jung where he said religion is a defense against spiritual experience not always it doesn't have to be but oftentimes it is you know we domesticate the mm -hmm. the wild god or gods and tame them and sort of put them in the zoo and then look at them once in a while when we well, there's part of us that, uh, that is afraid. Totally afraid. And even after we've had that experience, even after we've had that awakening, there is part of us that has a tendency to grow its shell around it and want to dwell on the experience that I already had yep. rather than opening because you enter that territory and you don't know what's going to happen. It's a wild safari out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's mainly <laughs> it's because we, we, we are not... Uh, willing to do that hard, inconvenient inner work. That is a main problem, actually. So we'd rather build an institution, mm -hmm. uh, look at you and you, no, we'd rather and do advise someone you. Else's absolutely, hard inner work. absolutely. There's a wonderful saying uh, from the Islamic Sufi tradition that says that uh, that which we are speaking about can never be found by seeking. Yet, only the seeker finds. Yes, not the irony of it. It is, that's amazing. Yeah. So you, uh, what I love about your story is, uh, you've come to a circle where you really were forced by circumstances, by deep doubts, questioning, to go deep within yourself. Yeah. And find those answers come up, and it's a lifelong process. Yeah. Yeah. It's there, there's the Gospel of Thomas has a beautiful verse that says, uh, "Seek and you shall find, but before you find, you shall be troubled." Mm -hmm. And you know the New Testament has "Seek and you shall find," and it stops there. It doesn't add that and you should be troubled and then it goes on to say and after you're troubled you'll find and rule over all mm -hmm. so that troubling part is necessary yeah i have a suspicion the verse goes on in someone else's text and says after you've found you'll be troubled yeah that's and right. after you're troubled you'll find that's and after you find you'll be troubled ongoing if you're doing and it it's right. like after the enlighten after enlightenment the laundry <laughs> you know, yes. we we awaken, and then our task is to carry that through the ego into yeah. the world, because the ego is our connection between a spiritual world and a material world. That's right. But the ego gets this poor, vulnerable, fragile mm -hmm. ego, you know, that just kind of 
clutches onto stuff and wants to have some control, please. Yeah, and it's and it for me anyway. It's lovely to watch because my ego is a delicious little thing, and it gets me in all kinds of trouble. And then I get to learn from it. Um, I, I don't castigate the evil any or the ego anymore. Right. There was a time when. Mm-hmm. So oh, the bad ego, and right. it, it, it dawned on me one day as a, when I was involved in the New Thought movement that there was a lot of um, you need to get rid of your ego stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought that sounds a lot like the evangelical original sin. Mm-hmm. Like there's something wrong with me. I think no, ego is does what it does until it doesn't work anymore. It's back to surrender. Yeah. I and mean, what you know, like Rumi has a wonderful verse. He says, "What is a little seed that its seediness, when the spring wind comes." should not be annihilated for the sake of a tree. That's right. So it's opening up into higher intelligence, a higher will. That's right. And that is what is happening. It is, and it has to put its roots down in the dark soil before it gets to go up. And that growing down, sometimes I think religious folks forget that sometimes growing the seeds down into the dark soil is as much a part as sprouting up into the light. To look into the shadows. There's one point I did want to make about suffering. I know that you've studied Buddhism, and uh, Brother Ted also studied Buddhism, and the first noble truth is, yes, my friends, there is suffering. There is suffering. But the Buddha was very quick to point out, yes, there is suffering, but the universe does not want us to suffer. We suffer because we lack some development, which is the story of everybody's life. We lack some development. We are able, once we really are able to integrate all the different fragments of our ego, to be able to go beyond that and reach a state of equanimity. Right, and there's an important distinction between pain and suffering. Right. Yeah. Yes. You know, because one can experience pain without suffering and suffering without pain. That's right. It's how we hold on to it and, and contextualize it. Right. But the universe is full of pain. Yep. It just is. And I don't see it as an intruder anymore. It's not Satan. Uh, that is some literal Satan or something wrong. It's a necessary part of, you know, traffic jams and arguments with my partner. And it's part of growth. It's part. It's of part of growth. Like Carl Jung would say, those even those big ones, those demons and dragons. If only you had the courage and the grace to kiss it, yeah, right. to embrace it with your consciousness. Yeah, it really transforms into a prince or princess. Yeah, Michael, we have about a minute to go okay. on the show this evening, and. I'm just wondering, of all the things that you found helpful in terms of your own spiritual unfolding, what would you suggest to those who are listening to be the most valuable? Relax and let it be. I mean, it's the process. Is, I, I think sometimes people get too obsessed with trying to be spiritual mm. instead of just seeing that you are spiritual just by being a human being. And um, find teachers, but don't stress over it. It just we make it too much work sometimes, especially those of us take it seriously. And visit my website if you want to read some of the some of our articles on this. And your pr- among what your is practices? it, Michael? Michael Bogar, B O L G A R. B O G A R. B O G A R. B O G A R. Like Humphrey without okay. the T. No L. I added an L. B O G A R. dot com. And could I also say I'm starting a Friday night thing, the second and fourth Friday, the opposite. You're first and third? First and third, yeah. I'm doing f- second and fourth at our home. If you're interested, contact us through the website. This Great. is what, a ministry? Or? Yeah, a regular uh-huh. Friday night service. Wonderful. Great, and you can find uh, information about Michael Bogar as well on interfaithtalkradio.com. We'll be back next Monday at 5 o'clock. With Brother Don. And we'll have Pastor Don with us. Have a blessed week. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, gentlemen. Shalom.